0: Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg ad-free and right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts.
1: Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com.
2: when you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that.
0: This episode of Travel Today with Peter Greenberg is brought to you by Audible.com a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial.
3: It's time for Peter Greenberg Worldwide with America's number one travel news journalist. And now, the man who travels over 400,000 miles each year,
0: your travel detective, Peter Greenberg. Hi everybody, Peter Greenberg here and welcome to the podcast that's done from a different location around the world every single week. One day Canada, the next day Thailand, then New York, London, you just never know. This week we come to you from Medellin, Colombia, a very surprising place for most Americans. Not many Americans have come here, but more are coming now. And for those people who watch the show Narcos, you understand the history there, the home of a guy who was actually killed 25 years ago now. I've seen a city, this city go through such a dramatic transformation in the last 25 years. But one of the people who's also seen it go through that is the author of The Moon Medellin and The Moon Columbia Guidebooks, Andrew Deer. I'm talking to him right now from Bogota. Hey, Andrew.
4: Hey, Peter. How's it going?
0: Good. I mean you've you know you moved down there what sixteen years ago, so you've seen all these changes and and you got there just at the end of the of the well seven years after the death of uh, of uh, mr Escobar
4: yeah, um I came down in two thousand and two and you know it's going to be a five year plan but I've ended up staying what seventeen years or something and um it's incredible to think back then um how how the country was i mean at that point um there are so many parts of the country where you know, the question was, is it safe to go? Is it safe to go? Well, there were just a few pockets of, uh, of uh, tourist um, destinations that people will, were safe to, to visit, and it's completely opened up to the world since
0: then. It really has, and, uh, and, and we're talking not just, you know, regionally. It's, it's opened up globally, um, and, you know, depending on where you are in the city, you can still see, as you know, uh, the remnants of Mr. Escobar, Um, I went to the cemetery. I saw his grave. I couldn't believe they were still putting flowers on it. Um, You know, I saw the house where he lived, which I think the mayor is now going to implode soon. Um, Right. I went to the house where he died. Um, And for those people who are binge watchers of narcos like I was, what was amazing about that particular location is that when they shot the movie, when they shot the TV series, and they did the scene of where he actually was shot and killed, they went back to the actual location and shot it right there at the house. I mean, now I know the mayor is doing his best to try to uh, erase that memory from the from the branding of the city, but in a certain way, I don't think it's, you, you can escape from it.
4: No, um, it's sort of a controversial thing to to do the Pablo Escobar tour in Medellin. Um, <clears throat> a lot of backpackers like to do it. it. It is interesting, and with narco,s especially, you know, there's been a renewed interest in Pablo Escobar, but there's also other other places of interest where you can kind of get a more step back and um, think about the, the victims of, of the conflict. Yep. Like they um, a few years ago, they opened up the Museo de Casa de Memoria, which is really the first time in the country that they've opened up some kind of memorial or museum dedicated to the victims. And, yes, and, and really in fact,
0: Andrew, and in fact, we're going to be talking to that curator a little bit later in the show. Okay. Oh, uh, it's an amazing museum, and it's free, by the way. People can just go. <laughs> Uh, but then when you first came there, uh, if I'm not mistaken, people are still running around with bulletproof cars.
4: Well, I, yeah, I did. <laughs> it seems crazy now. It seems really extravagant. But uh, uh, we moved down here, my partner and I, and that was the recommendation. Like, uh, you know, well, you got to get a bulletproof car, of course. And then, like, if you're going uh, to a restaurant or to your office, you know, take a different route every time, you know, just to be on the safe side. Thinking back, it's just now I don't, you know, think twice about that. Of course, but uh, you know, Andrew, can I ask
0: a stupid question? Uh, here's my stupid sure. question. Hey, let's go move down to Colombia, and the first piece of advice you get is get a bulletproof car.
4: <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I like adventure, so <laughs>
0: <laughs> apparently, and you survived. But yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm assuming it, the uh, the thick glass windows of the bulletproof car are a thing of the past right now for you.
4: Yeah, we got rid of that clunker. Now I just have a. I walk, and I ride my bike, and we have a Jetta.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, the the, the bottom line for those people who don't know about this is bulletproof cars are terrible on gas mileage. They weigh a little more. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. But here's what I've noticed. I've noticed uh, the infrastructure uh, has really changed. The architecture hasn't, thankfully. Uh, But the infrastructure has changed to the point where, you can have a five-star dining experience and and eat with 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 uh, with global certainty, if you will.
4: Yeah, um, particularly in well in, in both Bogota and Medellin. You know, just to let you know, um, people in Bogota are very envious of Medellin. You know, we people in Bogota think they're superior to Medellin. You know, it's the second city, but secretly we would all love to live Medellin. I was just going to say, uh, a real foodie culture has developed in the, in the big cities of Colombia, in Medellin and um, Cartagena and Bogota and Cali also. So um, you know. It's just been an explosion of, of flavors, um, international flavors, um, and then no longer, you know, the, the, the um, people in Bogota would say dismissively that, you know, in, in, in Medellin, they just eat beans and rice, you know, but, but it's really evolved from there.
0: It, it has, and in fact, I went to a dinner the other night at a restaurant called Carmen. Mm-hmm. L- I mean, it was spectacular, and and I and it was a surprise to me because I have to tell you, I was I was stereotypically expecting a Roscón Pollo, and they did a whole lot better.
4: Yeah, that's that's one of the top-rated restaurants in the country, really. And
0: speaking of no longer having your bulletproof car, the cool thing about Medellín now—they have a great mass transportation system.
4: Yes, um, well, they're very proud of their city in Medellín, and you know, number one on the list is their the metro that they've had for I don't know um, more than a, a decade or. 15 years or something like that, and um, but not only that, they have um, introduced a um, streetcar system, a rapid bus system, and um, an innovative um, gondola system um, that connects some of the poorer communities up on the mountains around Medellin with the city, so it makes it makes it much easier for students getting to school instead of like a 2 hour odyssey to get to their school it's like a 15 minute um trip in the in the gondola soaring above the, the the mountainside down to down to the city
0: yeah the cable cars in in medellin it, that was a big surprise to me and i loved it
4: yeah yeah and you know in medellin they kind of they're very proud about getting things done uh in bogota we um we bring our hands about things. But in uh, Medellin, they, they get things done. They have that reputation.
0: They do. And, you know, we're, we're speaking from the, from the Marriott here. I mean, when you take a look at the hotels that are opening and the hotels that are being run, they've got their act together now. And and, and there's some new little boutique hotels that are opening up that in terms of design and in terms of, of use of, of uh, natural materials have really been cutting edge. Yeah.
4: Um, yeah, before it was you know, just a um, mom-and-pop little guest house. And then, then the backpackers came and uh, with uh, hostels. and uh, But now it's uh, there's something for every budget, and there's more, um, more thought put into um, construction, um, use of water, use, using uh, solar energy.
0: Yeah. And the other thing that blew me away, which I wasn't expecting, is the parade of fruit juices.
4: That's one of my favorite things about Colombia in general is is the fruits and the fresh fruit and fruit juices. And there's nothing better, you know, Medellin has a wonderful climate, um, warm um, all year round, and there's nothing better like uh, for a midday lunch to accompany your, your paisa uh, lunch with than a, than a fresh juice. And there's just a whole range of juices you can go. You know, The weird, like guanabana, which is sour stuff. Lulo, all these strange uh, fruits that
0: we don't have in the States. And, the, and then they got guava, which, of course, you know, count me in. Uh, the, the, the thing that happened that I thought was so surprising is the other night when I was at the hotel, I had gotten in, I was tired, I didn't want to have a big dinner, so I called downstairs and said, Hey, just send me up a fruit plate. Oh my God. They sent me up like the entire produce section. I mean it was unbelievable and it was it was so nicely cut and arranged uh, that was another surprise.
4: Yeah, it actually that's I like uh, I like to promote free things for tourists who come to Columbia. and one of the pleasures that I have is going to the supermarket and just Checking out the the produce in uh, fruit area It's amazing.
0: I do that, by the way, in every in every country and every city I go to. I yeah. do two things. I visit the firehouse. Uh, I've talked about this many times on the show because they've been in everybody's house and restaurant and hotel. And I I, I go to a supermarket because I want to see what not just you know what I want to buy. I want to see what everybody else wants to buy, and then I want to try it.
4: Yeah, and you know I would say eighty percent or you know higher is is from around there, around Medellin. It's such a verdant and fertile region it's true
0: looking back when you first came there in 2002 till today what has been the biggest other than the bulletproof car andrew what's been the biggest surprise for you
4: well um the biggest surprise i think is that you know people aren't you know five or ten years ago you know Colombia was definitely already turning the corner um in much of the country you know, i'm not going to uh, say that there there's no violence and there's no um you know social problems that we have because we do Um, serious problems that we're working on but um you know why aren't more people coming here (laughs) you know compared to ecuador and peru and of course mexico it's just a a drop in the bucket still i
0: have a feeling we're not in kansas anymore about how much I don't know. I'm also reminded about how much I presume and then later find out I don't know. And uh, my next guest knows a little bit about everything, especially in terms of this city and in terms of its development, in terms of its design, in terms of its evolution, if you will. Alejandro Ezevere, who's an architect and urban planner and director at the university right here in Medellin. You heard my introduction. When people first come here, they're usually surprised, aren't they? Because they're not expecting the, the, the architecture that they're seeing.
5: Yes. Uh, thank you, uh, Peter, for the invitation. It's an honor to, to be here. Yes, me, me, I am from Medellin, so I am not. Uh, um, obvi- so, obvi- so you've obvi- seen all this. I love, me- I love the Medellin, no. but <laughs> you've seen all the changes. Yes, too. of course. So Medellin has this special combination of um, the geography. You know that it's a very valley with mountains and the topography is. is, is. And this uh, combination of the life of the city and as well that you can see the changes. The, the is is and the architecture and the process that the Medellin. Had and, and, and is, is going on is intense and is, co- is complex, but at the same time, it's beautiful. So, this is, is it makes an attractive city, I think so. In what way? because you are in a real city. I when I travel I love to having in cities that has life, tension, intensity. Maybe the the beauty in different forms. And I found I am from Medellin so I am telling that <laughs> <laughs> and I find that Medellin is intense. You has uh, amazing people here. But at the same time is is a city that is going very fast and we had a very big problems before and the thing the city is changing and the spirit of the city is ten- changing and the public space the architecture the cultural life now is very active. we are in a Latin American city we, we have problems we have problems of inequality structural problems of inequality so this is a real city but you can you can have the experience and and in, in in my case for example I've been tra- working with Medellín for a long time from the municipality before from the government and now from our center. No?
0: It's a real city, I agree. Yeah. It's got its tensions, it's got its rhythm, it's got its flow, it's got its energy. And music, amazing. And music, yes. Yeah, yeah. That's, never yeah,
5: yeah, yes that, that's never changed. Yes, that's never changed, yes. You could understand the history of our city from very beautiful testimonies, films. For example, the films of Victor Gaviria, the filmmaker, he's from Medellin, are very strong but you could ha- you could have the feeling and the the taste how was the, the most complex moment of medellin and mm, some novels as well from uh, fernando vallejo for example for uh, alonso salazar who after he wrote some very very beautiful novels and testimonies of medellin he became a major so this this is a city that has this combination of 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 people and, and, uh, and uh, yes, and the process that...
0: What's the most surprising thing about Medellin?
5: <clears throat> so it's a green city, but we still have a huge, ch- big challenge to, to, to incorporate, to transform the, the green corridors and the natural, natural condition in, in, in the every public life. But the, the, mm, I think the optim... We, we are a, a society that are very optimistic, O- always thinking possibilities even even in the most complex times of the history of Medellin we always think that we we are we are going forward and this 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 sense of belonging of this society is very powerful you feel everywhere i don't know if you you have this opportunity peter but it's everywhere
0: and you know you take a look even at this hotel i would not have expected to find this hotel generally except it's an indication of moving forward yeah
5: yes i we 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 in the past we nev- we didn't have tourism in medellin no, nobody wanted to come here because the situation and the violence and so on. now now the situation is completely different the economy is moving uh, and uh, at the same time the physical transformation of the city is a very powerful indicator so the design is Today, is a very, very strong uh, identity of Medellín. So, for example... In, in, terms, in terms of architecture, but yeah. in, in terms of, 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 of moda, no? of uh, tr- uh, dress. Uh, everything. Everything, yeah.
0: We're talking to Alejandro, it's a very architect, urban planner, and the director uh, at the university here. You know, take a look even at this hotel. You know, if you look at wh- what comes first, the chicken or the egg... The point is this hotel actually supports the boom in tourism now.
5: I think so. Yes, I think so. We have like this hotel, we have others, but of course it's a represent in some case the moment. But one singularity about Medellin is that you have a, the most amazing designs and quality even in the poorest areas. This is a very and the best uh, transport systems that t- takes you even in the poorest areas of the north. And uh, the programs of library parks that uh, with a national, international competition looking for the best architects as well, the public spaces, and uh, so how to connect society and how to develop a, a, a more a beautiful and more quality point of encounter for the city.
0: Well, not only do the locals have access to that because of your mass transit system, yeah. so do the visitors.
5: Yeah, 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 we have, we have a metro we have um, integrated with the metro we have a tranway system and medellin is as another another signature of medellin is the innovation so medellin uh, start a system that from telefericos to go up to the slopes we're, we're talking about the, the ski lifts if you will yeah, yeah And and this 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 new system was the door to develop a lot of Public policies and cultural programs in the in the in the upper part of the city
0: because those gondolas literally connect the communities now.
5: Connect the community, connect the society. Permit that the flows of work and economy happens and give accessibility for everywhere. Plus, they're fun. Yes, yes. And Unless you're fun. afraid of heights. <laughs> and, and one thing, Peter, one of the problems of. Some of the Latin American cities and other cities in the world in, rela- in relation with the in- inequality is the invisibility because you don't see other places in the city. So one thing that happens in Medellin is that you could now you can access every, everywhere and with cultural activities, uh, activities and so on. So we still have problems. Most of the people and the territories are visible and accessible. If you are continuing on
2: to another Southwest destination, please make sure that you check the monitors inside the terminal for your proper gate and flight information. If you are continuing on with another airline, we really don't care.
0: I'm joined now by, by Victor Vasquez, who's the regional head of development for Marriott International. What a coincidence you happen to be in a Marriott. I'm I'm, I'm shocked. Uh, but one of the things that brought me down here was the South American Hotel Investment Conference to learn about, you know, a, a, a continent, if you will. And it's not really a continent because you are also including Latin America and the Caribbean as well. But a continent that was not forgotten but has not grown as fast as other continents, at least in terms of the public's perception of it. And yet you're growing rapidly, aren't you? In what sure. ways?
3: Well, first of all, thank you for having me, Peter. Yeah. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, well, this this um, continent, as we so call it, is is really um, as subcontinent of the we'll, we call it the subcontinent of the Americas. Um, so um, we call a, we call it Kala, and we call it anything that's south of the US and includes the Caribbean. And it it really is a, a mixed bag of circumstances and political situations at all times. Well,
0: that's historic. <laughs> yes.
3: So um, yes, I think. If from the U.S. point of view, Mexico has not been forgotten. It's a, it's, it's it's very approachable. It's very near to. Uh, and
0: Mexico has had a huge uh, economic uh, year in tourism, despite all the things you see in the press. I mean, occupancies are almost at all time highs.
3: Yes, it's, a, it's proximity to the United States is is a is a big plus. Uh, the further you get away from the U.S., the, uh, the 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 requirements to travel abroad, and the unknowns uh, make it. More difficult for some people to to start traveling down south, and that's what makes um, the the furthest points in South America less um, uh, familiar to most uh, travelers internationally. Now uh, we see that the uh, international trends are favoring us because they uh, clients uh, now are have the curiosity and and why not explore places like Patagonia? Why not go to? Uh, Peru to Machu Picchu this is this is becoming um, uh, as you say it's, it's it's sort of an unknown and and a place to explore well,
0: in, uh, in the past it was it was left to high end luxury travelers or adventure adventure seekers now it's becoming much more accessible well
3: <clears throat> you have the perfect example here where we're in Medellin i mean a few years ago Medellin Colombia um, just a couple of decades ago was a different Colombia you you had a different perception of Colombia oh
0: let me tell you i know i mean uh, you know, it, it doesn't take much to... Uh, f- oh, look, I, I was... Okay, I was binge-watching Narcos, okay? Sorry. Yes. W- probably one of the most, uh, I mean, professionally produced television series I've ever seen. It was exquisite. And yet it told the story of murder and death on the cocaine train. Yes.
3: <clears throat> and, and, and this is, again, a, a good example of a country that has taken the right steps to transform their image internationally. And Colombia has now... Uh, repositioned itself. Uh, th- at least the perception that we see of Colombia more and more is that uh, people see um, Colombia as a destination for leisure travel, and not only business travel. And 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 therefore you see the renaissance of uh, Cartagena and Medellin itself, and uh, those that come here, they go back home and they, 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 they tell the story.
0: And not only that, you know, you, you take you mentioned Cartagena, Cali is coming back, Medellín, Bogota, but then look at the map. They have coastal islands here in Colombia that are exquisite and nobody knows it.
3: Yes, it's um the the region is is, is huge, it's a vast region. I mean and you can ex- you can if if you include Brazil here, which is a, a, a massive territory, you have lots of places to explore uh, from a hotel point of view. We, we see it as a land of opportunity. We see that uh, tourism is growing. Uh, people are becoming less and less, um, maybe the words afraid of leaving home and exploring the world. And therefore that uh, finding a, a brand, a hotel brand that they could recognize and they could stay at, gives them a certain peace of mind that the destination they're going to is going to be more enjoyable. Um, just last year, for instance, we um, completed the signing of uh, uh, the third tribute hotel in Argentina. And we have those in, in relatively remote destinations. We have one in, in Mendoza
0: and one in Bariloche. Well, Mendoza is not remote. It's the wine capital of the world, man. There are 880 wineries in, in western Argentina that make Napa Valley look like nothing. I mean, I'm telling you, this is a place you've got to go.
3: Absolutely. I, I had the privilege of, um, I, I was a general manager in Mendoza, so I know that region pretty well. Um, but I can tell you it's difficult to get there. For somebody who's only got a couple of days and a long weekend, that's, that's no, that long weekend's really tough, it's very difficult. But,
0: you know, you fly to BA and then go to the domestic airport and fly off to, to Mendoza. It's only about, what, an hour and a half flight, maybe? And that's, that's the beauty of travel these
3: days. Yeah. So you can, if you plan accordingly and, and you have the, the place that you want to go and you sort out the uh, documents, getting there, it's no longer as difficult as, as it was before. Now, exactly. if you add to these the fact that you are probably more familiar with the information about that place, and then you're familiar with the, the hotel you're staying at, you are in some ways in a good place to to make that, to to take that step and go. You
0: are. And and for those listening to this program and for everybody on previous shows, you're even in a better place now because of the currency fluctuations in Argentina. Talk about a buyer's market. The peso has been so devalued that the dollar has seven times the buying, the U.S. dollar has seven times the buying power that it had four months ago. It's 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 unbelievable. Now that may not apply to necessarily hotel rates because you guys in the hotel business can adjust that in dollars. Same thing with airline fares, but everything else—local goods and services, what people pay for a tube of toothpaste or a taxi ride or a pair of shoes or a night on the town or an antique—wow, right?
3: Yes, absolutely. I mean, um, the 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 beauty of uh, of having a, a region with diversity and, and and different situations for every country is that. You can always find sometimes relative to your own currency. You can find some advantages in in travel, and that doesn't
0: mean plan ahead. It means adjusting quickly.
3: <laughs> yes, exactly. And, and Colombia is one of one of those examples. I mean, we've we we happen to be in Medellin again. Uh, we we are uh, we celebrated yesterday the signing of a, a Moxie Hotel, the first. Moxie Hotel Design, brand, yes. another brands. The first one that we sign in the entire region, including the Caribbean, and it so happens to be in Medellin. Um, this 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 hotel uh, will will go through its um, process to to get built and, and opened, but we have 14 open hotels in in Colombia. We we're
0: talking, to, we're talking to Victor Vasquez from Marriott International. Victor, you know there's there's a there's a statistic that completely floors me. It was given to me by your your CEO Arnie Sorensen. Mm-hmm that Marriott is opening up one new hotel every 14 hours. Hilton's doing it one every 16 hours. IHG, one a day. This is staggering.
3: It is. It is.
0: Um, and those numbers hold up in South America as well?
3: Well, South America is slightly different. I mean, the the pace, it's always a balance between what you can achieve in Asia, what you can achieve in the States, what can you can achieve in, in Africa and, and, and Latin America. Um, Latin America is a huge territory, but with uh, great limitations in terms of financing. So um, the um, ability to grow as fast as, as we could in markets where you have access to, to, to bank loans, and, and sure. it's, it's slightly different.
0: Well, let's dispel a myth. This is not about Marriott owning hotels. This is about Marriott developing and managing hotels. You have to deal with the owners. Exactly. And that's on a local level. If they don't have the money, you're not building the hotel. And
3: um, I can tell you that the um, the market has changed significantly in uh, twenty years ago. Uh, first of all, some destinations have become uh, also more uh, interesting to to everyone, including like places far away, places like Bolivia. Uh, years ago, people wouldn't think of going to Bolivia unless you went on a on a hiking trip or some uh, far away destination. These days, owners even yeah, places
0: own a pair of Birkenstocks. Well, we could we do that, yes. Yeah, uh,
3: and the thing is, uh, we rely on owners trusting a, a brand primarily so they can build a hotel that can be either franchised or managed by the
0: brand. We talked about Argentina. Uh, we talked a little bit about Brazil but and Bolivia, you mentioned, but there are so many countries here that aren't really on the radar, right? Uh, Uruguay, uh, Paraguay. The guays. <laughs> um, you know, we can't really, you know, we, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention the elephant in the room in Venezuela, which is basically imploding. I mean, let's call it what it is. And yet, if you look at history and the cycle of history, I'm sure somewhere on your planning map is in three years, we're going to be back in Venezuela when things get better. I mean, it has to be.
3: <clears throat> well, look, we have we have presence in thirty three countries in the region. We have uh, two hundred and forty hotels, including in Venezuela. Uh, we don't operate in Venezuela. We've refranchised in Venezuela from historically.
0: I don't think any of your competitors operate in Venezuela either.
3: I I think a couple of them. They I don't think they, they operate. They franchise. Yeah. Yes. Uh, because of the reasons that we all know, it's difficult to um to to operate these days in a in a in a in a country that's going through a lot of difficulties. Um, but we uh, you mentioned Bolivia. I could mention places like Nicaragua. I could mention. Places like Guatemala, they're 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 beautiful destinations in themselves, and they and have. People
0: don't realize Nicaragua has got a seacoast. Yes, and uh, Nicaragua. So was, does Guatemala, by the way. Yeah,
3: Nobody and, knows. And Guatemala is, I, is, I think, is one of the best kept secrets in the region. It it, it really contains in a small territory. It contains lots of wonderful things to visit. So our our ability to to expand, as you were saying, with local owners and 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 deliver our brand and our brand promises, uh, we have um, a strong pipeline. We have one hundred. Uh, 20odd hotels in the pipeline that we will open in the next few years and that that really allows us to grow with with the time with uh, travelers looking for new experiences and as we add new brands to our portfolio and we build uh, uh, Launch these brands in the portfolio, like we're doing with Moxie. And by the Colombia. way, I can't
0: keep up with the number of your brands. How many are there now?
3: We have 30 brands. 19 <laughs> of them. 19, 19 of them are present in, in in Latin America and the Caribbean. Wow! And uh, we, we're introducing Moxie now. And Moxie's, we think it's going to be. Um, it could. It has all the, the the potential to be a huge success.
0: Now that's a lifestyle brand.
3: It is a lifestyle brand. It it offers uh, again for the uh, for the investors, the local investors. It offers. S- several advantages one of them is that we are uh, containing the cost to build that product uh, while delivering a very exciting experience
0: let's talk about that i mean I'm, we're going to get deep down into, into the weeds on this one but most people don't understand hotel financing it took me a while to figure it out too and that is, if you want to know what your room rate's all about, you got to go back into how much it actually cost them to build a room on an average per room. So, so correct me if I'm wrong, Victor, but if it costs you a hundred thousand dollars to build a hotel room, then the minimum rate you're going to charge your guests is a hundred dollars a night. It's usually one tenth and one percent, usually.
3: Well, that's a, that's a good rule of thumb that doesn't necessarily apply to all markets, but it's a, of it's course a good not. One. I knew you were going one. to correct me. Go ahead. Yes, it's just a, it's just a good way to 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 relate brand and um, and cost to build and rate that but, you can accomplish. That's really what it point. is.
0: If it's going to cost you eighty thousand dollars to build the room, then the room rate will reflect the fact that you save some money in the costs.
3: Yeah, so let's let's go back to to one basic, which is a hotel will not dictate the rate; the market drives the rate for the market. So, but if
0: you overbuild for the market, you're exactly, screwed.
3: there you go. So you, sometimes you can be a, a leader in the market, and you can introduce a new brand. So some some markets introduce luxury products for the first time, so they need to drive that rate up. So it does happen, but for the most part, you build according to the to the um, to the rate that you can accomplish relative to the brand that you and you better keep those costs at that specific level so you can achieve the returns that you're expecting.
0: Well, the key here is if you don't understand the market, don't, don't get in it. Exactly, because you're gonna you're gonna end up getting well, you're not gonna make
3: it work. Well, we 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 have the. Um we, we, we rely on, on, obviously, consultants in the region, but we are also um, have our own team that allows us to l- assess and look at projects and help owners make those decisions. One of the virtues of having 30 brands is that you have... A, you have a, 30 opportunities to make a mistake. mistake. Well, no, not <laughs> quite. I think it's to make it right. You owner. know what I'm saying. Yeah, so, for instance, I, look, going back to the Moxie, I think it's it's a huge coincidence that we're able to sign a Moxie in Medellin when we're in this uh, investment conference in Medellin. Okay, but let me ask you, a really yes. stupid question. What's the difference between a Moxie and a W? Well, it's, I think it has to do with the price point, but you said it before. It's the how much are you going to invest in a Moxie relative to a W. A W is a hotel that will require uh, a lot of common areas and will require perhaps a spa and, and a couple a of restaurants. And a scene and a whole uh, thing. Yes, and a Moxie won't, won't require you to do it. You don't have conference uh, space at a, at a Moxie, so your costs are going to be reduced and your, your room size is going to be more... Um,
0: uh, Can I say the word small?
3: No, I would, I would, I would say it's, it's more, um, it's designed accordingly to the amount of time that you're going to spend in that space. And okay, we're, designing we're talking Moxie. smaller. It's smaller. It's okay. smaller, definitely. Yeah. Not small, but I would say it's smaller, definitely, because relative. It's all
0: relative to something, obviously. Right. So if, but then again, I always argue: How much time do you spend in your room anyway, other than showering and sleeping? I mean, literally. And there again, it has to do with the,
3: the, with the brand you're staying at. So if you're staying for a business conference and you plan to sit down at a desk and take lots of calls, and maybe you need more space. But if you're so going So now we're talking residence in, or, or maybe it's you're going to a Westin or a, uh, or a Mario hotel where we have a proper desk. And right. You, where at a Moxie, you're, more, you're expected to spend less time at the room and more time in the common area. So, so where basically, enough exciting, room for you and
0: your iPad? Uh, pretty much, <laughs> yes.
2: Riding along in
4: my automobile. My baby beside me at the wheel. Cruising and playing the radio.
6: With no particular place to go.
0: Audible.com has more than 150,000 titles and virtually every genre. So check it out for yourself. Sign up today at slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30 day trial. Most of you have never been to Medellin. My next guest had never been to Medellin until he decided to come basically because he was looking for another place to hang out and vacation. From Dallas, Texas, he's actually the founder and editor in chief at the MedellinGuru.com. Jeff Paschke, how are you? I'm doing good. So you're sitting home in Dallas one day saying, I got to get out of here. And what were your choices?
7: So so basically, I, I ran across this book that was published by Life magazine. You're dating yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know. But basically, it was the top 100 places to see in a lifetime. And I was looking to go someplace warm. And two places in that book caught my eye. Cartagena Colombia and Rio de Janeiro Brazil and I decided to go to Cartagena because it was closer and cheaper
0: and then from Cartagena you came here so
7: so so basically what happened I went to Cartagena had a fantastic time and went back on vacation and brought some friends with me but I met some expats in Cartagena that said well if you like Cartagena you need to go to Medellin that's how I discovered Medellin
0: and you've been here now for
7: what eight years over eight years
0: wow and there's so much about the city that most visitors don't know. You've been stereotyped, I know, because of a friend, Mr. Escobar. Uh, although that was one way to see the city, I suppose.
7: <laughs> so, so, so basically, Med- Medellin still has a challenge to overcome. You know, if, uh, Americans, when they hear the hear Medellin, they think of narcos and Pablo Escobar, and that's actually 25 years ago. Medellin has had a remarkable turnaround in that. In, in the past couple decades, and it's a completely different place. In what uh, ways is it different? Um, for example, uh, Medellin a few years ago was named the most innovative city in the entire world. Even um, so, it's it does a lot of a lot of things that are that are relatively unique. Uh, Give me an example. They invested in transportation uh, to some of the poor neighborhoods that are up the hills in in Medellin. So they have cable cars that they use for transportation to better integrate the poor neighborhoods into the places where there's jobs. Pretty cool.
0: Yes. And they've got a pretty good mass transit system.
7: Yes, it's one of the things that attracted me to Medellin when I first came here. Uh, It's very easy to live here without a car, with the, with the, the cheap and inexpensive metro that goes everywhere, cheap buses, and cheap taxis. Well,
0: speaking of cheap taxis... You know, I always look at a place for, does it have a high standard of living? And the best combination, of course, is does it have a low cost of living? Here, you have a low cost of living.
7: Exactly. And that's uh, that's one of the other things. I took an Uber things. here yeah. today. Mm-hmm.
0: You know what it was? Take a
7: guess. Mm, $5.
0: $2.80. <laughs> in New York, you burp in a cabin, it's $16. So, I mean, that is a good indication of how much else you're going to be spending with a differential. Mm-hmm.
7: That. Cost of living is one of the things that attracted me to Medellin, but the first thing that really attracted me was the, the climate. Um, Medellin is known as the city of eternal spring, and it has basically the same temperature range all year round. So you're not wearing sweaters? No. No sweaters, uh, Some occasionally shorts, um, but the, you know, uh, uh, no air conditioning, no heating required.
0: Perfect. Now, here's the question, though. This is my understanding of, of not just Medellin, but maybe Colombia. Things do take a little longer to get done here.
7: <laughs> That's one of the downsides, is <laughs> that. I'm
0: glad I mentioned that, yeah.
7: You know, no place is perfect. Right. Um, and, and it's not just Medellin, and it's not just Colombia. Um, things take longer. Uh, you need to kind of lower your expectations. When I first started uh, furnishing an apartment here, you know, I'd buy something and they'd promise it in two days. Didn't show up for a week.
0: <laughs> right. Well, you were, you were styling. Uh, but the other cool thing about coming here is you can come to Colombia for up to 180 days without having to get a visa. Exactly. So uh, for people who want to come down here and have an extended vacation, it's totally doable.
7: And that's actually what I did the first three years that I was living here. I split my time between Dallas and Medellin. I was re- working remotely from my house in, in Dallas, and there was no difference working remotely from Medellin. Uh, same time zone same time zone the central with voice over ip the same phone number even
0: what do I do to hang out here where I'm actually going to be able to immerse myself in the local culture and not just take the Pablo Escobar tour? Mm-hmm.
7: So there's there's a couple of things. One one thing I'd recommend doing is trying the local cu- cuisine. Well, you don't have a choice. I'm not <laughs> actually, go, actually, I don't want to go to Burger King. Actually, you do have a choice. Uh, Medellin's a big city, uh, about four million in the metro area. So there's actually a very wide. I know you can get a pizza restaurant. here. I know
0: you can get you can get sushi here. Uh-huh. But when you say local cuisine, you know when I'm in Peru,
7: it's 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 guinea pig. Mm-hmm. So what is it here? So here, there's a variety of local cuisines, and one of my one of my favorite restaurants to bring visitors visitors to is uh, is a restaurant named El Rancherito. And so, basically, this is a this is a restaurant that has a huge menu of local cu- cuisine, the the comida típica uh, in in Colombia. And so, you can have things from bandeja paisa, which is a very common uh, dish here which in. Which is what? Which is a huge <laughs> plate of of meat, rice, um, beans. Uh, it, it's basically a very filling meal. Uh, and it was attend- it was originally intended for the ranchers um, to have a big big lunchtime meal, um, but this is a huge plate, and after you eat that, you want to go take a nap. <laughs> well, you you have to go take a nap. <laughs> exactly. All right, so, but what else would I order? What else? Um, so so Colombia also has a number of very good soups. Um, they're probably one of the one of the most interesting is one called mandango soup, which is which is basically tripe. <laughs> It sounds like a bad B-movie from the 70s, Mondongo soup. <laughs> but actually, it's pretty
0: good. Uh, well, you, you either call it Mondongo or tripe. I don't feel like I want to eat it.
7: <laughs> can I pass on that one? You can pass on that one. Okay, good. Keep going. Um, you mentioned soup. Is there another kind of soup? So, so there are a number of other soups, but I'd also recommend trying... One of my favorite dishes here in Colombia is actually from the coast, which is they, is, is fried fish. Now in, we're talking... And, and they actually fry the entire fish. Um, and so- can you
0: eat the whole fish? Well, <laughs> the certain, of course you don't eat the bones I know and, but sometimes when they mm-hmm. when they cook it that mm-hmm. deep you do yeah, yeah
7: but it's, it's, it's something that, that's pretty unique here in Colombia which I haven't seen in other countries where they actually fry the entire fish
0: now I mentioned Pablo Escobar so I have mm-hmm. to mention him again very funny story that the mayor of Medellin hates the idea of, of the name anymore of Pablo Escobar there used to be a number of tours here the, the official Pablo Escobar tours you could go to his ranch and see the shot out cars you could go to where he lived where he tried to bury the money, where he got shot up, where he died, and now they, they basically said, the mayor said, no, I don't want to do that.
7: So it's, it's actually interesting on my Medellin Guru site, I have a couple articles about uh, Pablo Escobar, one about his grave, and the one another one about... Can I the- make
0: an admission? I went there yesterday. <laughs> yeah. I did. They're still putting flowers on it.
7: Yeah, it's pretty sad. <laughs>
0: He's still a hero to some people.
7: He he is still a, a hero to some some people, but it's really, it's really sad that a lot of the expats that come to Medellin, that's one of the first things they want to do. They want to go on a Pablo Escobar tour. Um, but, the, the, you know... You mean
0: guys like me? <laughs>
7: <laughs> I had to go. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, for a guy who
0: binge-watched Narcos, I just had to see it for mm-hmm. myself. But the point is, when I got there, I wasn't alone, number one. And number two, there were flowers on his grave. And and my guide was telling me... Uh, by the way, this is not an official Pablo Escobar tour, by the way. We just did this. We freelanced this one. Mm-hmm. But... He was telling me people are there every day putting flowers on this
7: guy's grave. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Um, I I actually had never been in eight years until... um,
0: One of your friends showed up? No,
7: until until some of the readers of the Medellin Guru site said, well, ask questions. And I finally went and wrote an article about it. And I called it an unfortunate tourist uh, site.
0: I think you're you're right. I think you're right. And we also went to see his Monaco house, Mm -hmm. which... uh, Rumor has that he all the stones came from all this all the, you know, from Monaco. My understanding is the city's going to implode it.
7: yeah, that's scheduled early next year, I believe yeah um, and, and another thing is the city just shut down a there was a Pablo Escobar museum uh, here in Medellin. Run by it, his brother, I think exactly yeah and the, the city just shut it down actually
0: Wow and yet you would think you know, if you go to Vegas, what do they have the mob museum. Mm-hmm. You go, to, you go to Berlin, you can tour, you know, the Fuhrer Bunker. Um, I would think that, I understand why the mayor doesn't want to, you know, promote that legacy, but it's almost inescapable.
7: It, it really is inescapable, and, and basically, um, it's something, something that Medellin still, still struggles with. Um, but it's part of the history of the city.
1: Hello and welcome to Alaska Flight 438. We'd like to tell you now about some important safety features of this aircraft. The most important safety feature we have aboard this plane is the flight attendants. Please look at one now.
0: running me now I could call her an expat now Uh, she's uh, she's an American journalist here in Medellin who writes for Columbia Reports. Megan Janetsky, how are you? Hi,
8: how are you?
0: I'm good. You Arizona transplant you. <laughs> so what brought you here?
8: Um, I was always interested in doing international reporting. Did some in Mexico a couple years ago. And um, in Arizona, I was drawn to the border in Mexico. So I was also really, really drawn to, especially here, the Venezuelan immigration crisis in Colombia. And Medellin has a very interesting story just in terms of a long history of violence and now um, the the city shifting into a more modern and different Medellin.
0: And what are you seeing?
8: I mean, I'm seeing it's really interesting because a lot of the people I talk to. Because I'm, I'm going
5: I'm
0: to yeah. jump in i'm going to presume you had some preconceptions
8: I mean yes I, I I know I knew people who were here, and i like I think everybody has preconceptions or quite a few people before like getting to know the country and doing research, of course, like Colombia, like for instance, when I told my father that I was moving to Colombia whoops. Columbia, whoops. Yeah, like a lot of a lot of Americans have this like um, kind of ingrained stereotype um, of Colombia that is very not true, and and uh, comes from you know the violence in the '80s with Pablo Escobar. But um, I, as a reporter here, I'm trying to kind of turn that narrative.
0: And how are things with dad
8: with turning the narrative? Yeah. Um I mean I think I think it's changing. It has been changing in like the past couple of years through word of mouth and like media like like this like conversations about the country about how Medellin is a largely peaceful place, a very cool place. Um Well, so. I'll, I'll
0: I'll be devil's advocate. You're mm-hmm. an American woman, you're here by yourself. Mm-hmm. Do you feel unsafe? Do you feel threatened?
8: No. No. I've never felt unsafe.
0: Right. And and you could be streetwise anywhere. So yeah. Yeah, so when you talk to your friends, forget forget dad for a second, but when you talk to your friends, I'm assuming that that they have some preconceptions as well. Some of them might think you're a little little nuts to come down here until, of course, they get down here and see for themselves.
8: I mean, I, I would say that's accurate. I would also say mo- most of my friends tend to want to do international work generally. So, so they're, I think they're in they are the the come sa- with, In the same yeah. sphere, I
0: got you. Yeah. All right, so other than what we just talked about, when you got down here, what was the biggest surprise to you?
8: Hmm, that's hard. I think it was because um, I'd been to Mexico, and it's very similar, but I think— And um, Mexico's
0: taking the heat in the press, too, you know, about gang violence and drug violence yeah. um, and murders. I mean, they, they certainly have their fair share of that, but it's gang to gang. It's not directed at, at American tourists.
8: Yeah, I would say, I would say the, the, um, the thing that's similar between the two countries is how friendly, friendly and kind people are like, I, I mean, I lived in Washington, DC where for, for a time and like one time I like pet someone's dog and like asked their name on the street and someone was like, where are you from? Uh, like, clearly you're not from here. Cause you're talking to people on the street versus <laughs> here where you talk to everybody on the street and it's just, it's my favorite part of Colombia and Latin America.
0: Listen, any destination that encourages conversation, count me in, (laughs) right?
8: Yeah, I would agree.
0: Uh, What about living here? Because I I look at a place, one of my metrics for anywhere I want to live is, does it have a high standard of living and a low cost of living? If it has those two things, wow, I can't wait to go.
8: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I live Poblano, the neighborhood where I'm kind of in is um, I, there's, like, a higher cost of living, but the neighborhood I live in, for example, like La Reales, um, it, it, it has a lower cost of living, and it's by, like, many locals, and you really get to know the culture better.
0: I mean, give me some comparative prices, because I always I always gauge the real cost of living by how much does a Tuba toothpaste cost, how much does a Big Mac cost, if you eat that stuff, uh, how much does a taxi ride cost, mm. or a pair of shoes, mm. and... You know, I took a taxi here yesterday. I took an Uber here today. It was like $2.90. I'm like, really? Wow. (laughs) Count me in.
8: Yeah. Um, For example, um, there's a market, a big, like, kind of open-air market um, by my home where if you go there for lunch, um, it's run by a Venezuelan family, you can get a giant plate of soup, um, some sort of meat, uh, rice, and a salad. Okay, wait, stop right there. And Please don't describe juice.
0: the menu as some <laughs> sort of meat.
8: No, it's it's like um. Well, you can pick like you can pick, um, uh, chicken. I, okay, now, beef, now we're now we're getting close. Like okay. just just the best food you'll ever have, and including juice for like um, a day's meal. So um, like less than three dollars.
0: Wow.
8: Uh, maybe that like about three dollars. I can live with that. Yeah.
0: And you can live with that.
8: Oh, I can definitely live with that.
0: Okay, let's flip it over. What's most expensive here that you weren't expecting?
8: Oh, um, I have I brought it with me, but I've heard sunscreen is very expensive. <laughs> and um, I, I know that's a very Duly noted thing. And you can't find good cheese. Like, it's I, I am like...
0: I'm a cheese fanatic, by I'm, the way. I
8: am, yes. So, like... If I could have like brie and like a baguette for every single meal, I would be very content and it's both difficult to find um good bread and good good like like Italian y like bougie cheese. Yeah. Uh, Excuse me, you're in Medellin Colombia. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean when you look on On the website, it doesn't say cheese capital of South
8: America. (laughs) It does not. They have a lot of cheese. They have like like they have like Latin American cheese, but that's not not, no. Although I will tell you, if
0: you go down to Argentina, um, at the Park Hyatt there, they have a cheese sommelier, and I'm telling you, you haven't lived until you had the Argentinian cheese paired with the wines.
8: Okay, that sounds amazing.
0: It is. You should go. Okay. And I've right now, on. by the way, speaking of cost of living, yeah. the Argentinian peso has become so devalued against the US dollar, you got a seven times marketing uh, uh, advantage uh, in terms of buying power than wow. you had only 3 months ago. Oh. oh yeah, the, the the peso 3 months ago was sort of like 5.7 of the dollar. It's now 35 to the dollar. Mm. I mean, do the math. Even I can who failed math can do that math. <laughs> and What a great time to go down there.
8: Yeah, seriously. All
0: right, so I'm sorry about the cheese in Columbia.
8: It's it's a sad time in my life. Not not really, but that specific facet, yes.
0: Okay, so your next report is going to be lamenting cheese, is that it? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Last but not least, our friend Mr. Escobar, dead for 25 years, Mm. but still very much alive in this town in terms of his folk hero status Mm. among so many
8: people. Yeah, it's interesting. There's actually kind of a problem that's arisen now because of this Netflix show, Narcos, where um, people are getting drawn... One of my favorite shows. Oh, yeah? it's it. Well, people are getting drawn to the, um, the country because of it, but it's caused a lot of problems. There's specifically, like, narco-tourism and, like, people... There are people here who have live through this violence and like for a lot of a lot of people who visit it's a game it's this like cinematic just thing out of a movie but then there are people like i've met people who are like my aunt has been kidnapped by like the cartels we're talking real
0: stories
1: yes should there be a rapid change in cabin pressure oxygen masks will automatically drop from the compartment above your seat free of charge And to start the flow of oxygen, pay a flight attendant (laughs)
5: $75.63.
0: For those of you who are being, you know, who are binge-affected with shows like Narcos, you probably don't think there's any culture in Medellin. Well, you're wrong. In fact, there are many museums. A little bit later in the show, we're going to talk about uh, the, the museum, the Museo Casa de la Memoria. But and by the way, it's a free museum open from Tuesdays to Saturdays. But first, let's talk to the head curator of the Medellin Museum of Modern Art, Emiliano Velez. How are you?
6: Hello. I'm very happy to be here.
0: Yeah. I mean, every city has a culture. Every country has a culture. Um, and sometimes that culture gets overlooked because of misbranding, if you will, of, you know, you mentioned, Medi- you mentioned Medellin to most Americans, and they think they're going to get shot in the streets. What they don't realize is that Pablo Escobar was killed 25 years ago. Right. Now, you've been here how long?
6: I've been here for nearly four years.
0: Right. And you came here because there's a great museum here called the Museum of Modern Art in Medellin. You're the head curator. That's correct. A society expresses itself through its art. I'm assuming
6: that some of the modern art here expresses that period of time as well. Absolutely. So the museum was founded in '78 by a group of artists and intellectuals and and citizens. Um, and throughout even the worst years of Medellin, which as um, you'll know too well, the '80s and the '90s were very rough. But even through those years, the museum um, really strived to keep close to the artists and what were they they were producing. Um, I think there was a lot of um, referring to those aesthetics, um, often in a in a in a non overt way. Um, but I think it's undeniable that a lot of of at least the aesthetics that were managed um, by you know the narcos and how that permeated into society went into their into their artworks and you display it we do absolutely yeah we strive to keep a very close connection with the artists from the city but also um, about three years ago we opened a new building which triplicated the museum's capacity and that also gave us the opportunity to engage in broader dialogues some of which have to do of course with the, with the you know the history of the cities and the and the societies that, that produce the art that we're showing but all, but also sometimes we don't so we try to keep like an open agenda in which the history of the city is discussed um, in relationships to also broader topics.
0: But you're also really talking about Colombian art of the 21st century.
6: We are and in fact we're preparing uh, a large group show uh, which is going to showcase uh, two decades of contemporary art in Colombia starting from 2000 to 2019. The exhibition opens next March um, and we're very much looking forward to that because we also assume that some of these topics that we're discussing previously are going to um, come forward in that exhibition.
0: What would you say is is for Somebody visiting the museum for the first time would be their biggest surprise: what they're not expecting to see.
6: Well, I would I would like to think we have a, a cutting edge contemporary um, art exhibitions program, which is not something that people necessarily know. I mean, they can find here artists that are showing anywhere in the world right now. But at the same time, we have a very strong collection of uh, Antioqueño um, artists. One of the one of the I would say most relevant, or one of the largest collection is by Deborah Arango. Deborah Arango was this uh, Medellin born, um, really um, innovative uh, woman who for very long was sort of cut out of the main artistic circles because of her incisive comments on religion and politics and because she was the first woman who depicted other naked women, which of course at the time in a very conservative society was a, a no-no.
0: Okay, I'm going. <laughs> no, but, but the bottom line is you you have the outside artists, really. These these are the outside artists who are now coming in.
6: Yeah, I mean, I think Medellin, as you might know, is a city that for for a long time has been sort of very inward-looking, and we're really trying to put in... We're we're really trying to connect the art that's being produced here with um, art that's being produced elsewhere as to create connections and dialogues. Because finally, human experiencers, even if they're very different, um, that human component, can you can relate through that. And I think that's something that, that sort of uh, boasts or, or, or powers uh, both what is being produced here and what has been done outside.
0: Well, at the end of the day, it really all gets down to the conversation, doesn't it?
6: It does, yeah. And, it, and I think it, gets, it, it also comes down to the perspective from which you look at things. And in that sense, I think... We we um, try to provide people with as much context as possible, so that whenever you're looking at a work, you know you have elements to read into it and, and to maybe compare it with your own experience.
0: Well, the story that you just told me about the woman artist who was painting, you know, doing something that was not unheard of at the time. When I go to the museum, is there something there that explains that in context to me?
6: Yeah, so right now we have uh, uh, the hang of our permanent collection, which uh, varies about once a year. Um, It's an exhibition called Contrarrelatos in la Colección MAM, which translates to counter stories in the MAM collection, and the idea is to give us sort of like the side B of uh, the history of our collection, and in that exhibition, of course, somebody that was so uh, disruptive has a very important place. Well, in a world
0: of disruption, modern art has its place.
6: I uh, would like to think so, yeah. And we'd like to think that art is a space, it's a, a place where, where you can really try to dig into things that you're not allowed to do um, anywhere else because there are a lot more barriers in the world that there are in the... Come in
0: the fly with me, let's fly, let's fly
4: away. If you can use some exotic booze, there's a bar in far Bombay. Come on and fly with me. My next guest
0: knows let's a lot fly, about this city because she's the director away. of the Museo Casa de la Memoria. And uh, every city tells a story. Every city has a history. And unfortunately, sometimes the history is marred or just it's sort of like skews to one corner because you may have heard just only one thing about it. But there's so much history in this city. So better to talk to Adriana Valderrama, who is the yeah. who's the who's basically the director of the museum. Mm-hmm. Welcome to the show. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Well, Thank you, you heard my you heard my introduction. Yes, you know I did. most people who come down here, at least the Americans who've been addicted to shows like Narcos, all they want to do is talk about you know Mr. Escobar. Mm-hmm. But there's so much more.
2: Exactly, and that's exactly the work we do. We work in our exhibitions and our research to be able to build like a narrative as plural and inclusive as possible. To tell you stories. Know. Exactly, we the, the story of the city. The story, and it's an old city. Uh, Medellin is an old city, but we also have certain uh, exhibitions where we point out certain time of history that we think is important to uh, go through again to understand better the present. So Well, when there's you talk- the old saying that if you can't remember the past, you're doomed to repeat it. Exactly. We've been working uh, for the last two years in the exhibition that we have at, at the moment that is called Medellin 70s, 80s, and 90s because it's exactly the time where all this problem with narcotraffic, Pablo Escobar, Mafia, cartels, and all that kind of violence happen here in Medellin. So we decide to go back into that temporality to be able to create a narrative that is inclusive, it's not a monologue, uh, it's not being built to be um, publicity or to right. make money out of it. And it's and you're not taking sides, you're just no, you're telling a story. No, exactly. We're plural. And we build our narratives within the ter- territory of Medellin. We work with the social organizations, with leaders. With the cultural um, sport areas, we also work with the you know private sector. We we are part of the public sector sector itself. And what we're trying to do is to create a pe- you know an exhibition that at the end turns to be like a pedagogy tool for us to have a you know reflection uh, with our visitors about what you, you know the through. past yes. and the present and to understand that we, the way that I like to think about it is to put things into the real. Perspective and to realize that Pablo Escobar is not exactly the, the guy or the character that is being built through the cinemas or more, you know, public, entertaining. And yes, um, and,
0: and yet he is still considered by so many here to be some, somewhat of a folk hero because at one point with all of his bad money, mm-hmm. he was building houses and he was support, uh, supporting a football team and things that you would never expect anybody with that kind of visibility to even want to do.
2: Exactly, but I think it's a misunderstanding as well about those actors. I mean, he was giving houses away, but the real purpose of giving those houses away was to be able to buy people of conscious course. and to Jude people and junk. Well, we have a saying, there's him. no such thing as a free house. Exactly. <laughs> so that's exactly what we do. We, we're more critical about the narrative. We, we don't stay like in the surface. We will go deep. We bring proof. We use the archives. We use the testimonies of people that were affected directly by this conflict and basically we are not putting our lights on Pablo Escobar. We're trying to put the lights in another kind of leaders and people that was able to resist and to keep against this character, which a- and wasn't at as t- And at the same time, keep the fabric of the city together. Exactly. At the same time, we work uh, through this process to be able to rebuild, as you say, you know, the wood, um, you know, the social wooding and to be able to uh, have a spaces for reconciliation and to understanding and to listening and to be able to create like an open and inclusive narrative about the city, the past, the present, and to think about a communal future.
0: Well, that, that asks the question for me, at least, has there been a reconciliation?
2: Well, I guess, yes. Medellin, if you go back, Medellin is a city where we are plenty of demobilized people from different organizations and in different processes, and we also have a lot of victims, and we also have civil society, and we all, you know, chair spaces in the city I'm not saying it's perfect or it's done it's a work in progress exactly but it is what it is we're the city in the world with the higher number of people that is being demobilized and actually the city in Colombia with the higher number of direct victims of the conflict you know not just about narco traffic because narco traffic is one aspect of our conflict you've been listening to Peter Greenberg Worldwide catch us each week as we broadcast from a new location somewhere
3: around the world